I'm Danny, that witch next door. And you're listening to That Witch Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome back to another week, another episode, and the final portion of the wheel of the Zodiac here at That Witch Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm your host. I'm your mentor, your guide, and instructor in all things magic, witchcraft, astrology, and witchy business. That Witch Next Door. Hello. 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 How are you doing today? I am really excited because all of you keep letting me know how excited you are about this applicable astrology mini-series. This is going so well. Not only do I feel like we're getting through some really, really good, important, valuable information, it is really sparking some important breakthroughs for many people. I loved that last week, um, really kind of getting to read through some of the breakthroughs that a lot of you are having, the things that this is bringing up for you, and then sharing that with everybody. I thought that that was great. So if you were one of the people that reached out to me and let me know how much you're enjoying the series and the different breakthroughs and things that it's been bringing up for you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I always love when y'all reach out to me. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I swear to you, I my little Scorpio I see would never, ever tell you you could talk to me if I didn't want to talk to you because I would just be invisible. <laughs> All right, so... Without further ado, let's wrap this portion up, shall we? We are going through houses 10, 11, and 12 today so that we can really, really move forward into the applicable portions of the Applicable Astrology mini-series. This is really exciting stuff. Now, of course, as always, if this is the first time you're listening to the show, hi, welcome, lovely. You probably should stop right here. Go back and listen to the first few episodes in the Applicable Astrology series so that you feel nice and caught up. We're specifically going through in order so that we can really understand and vibe with the progression of the Zodiac Wheel itself. So this is one section of the podcast that is really, really beneficial to listen to in chronological order. Those episodes will be linked below in the show notes. And all right, let's do this. It's time. We left off last episode in the ninth house of Sagittarius, remember? And now we are crossing over the MC, that is the midheaven, that is the very topmost line of the zodiac wheel. And we are now crossing the threshold into the 10th house. This is the house of Capricorn. This is a house ruled by Saturn. This is a cardinal house. And this is a house of earth energy. Okay. We briefly, briefly mentioned the MC a couple of times throughout the applicable astrology series. And that's because all of the different angles in the chart, all of the bones, if you will, like I always call them, they really do relate and connect with one another. So sometimes it's impossible not to refer to them um, when you're talking about one of the others. The MC is the most external point of our chart, okay? It's the it's literally like when we look at it, it's the highest point and it's the most external point. I always tell people it's kind of like your rising sign on high, okay? Don't get me wrong. I don't want to confuse you. 
you are going to show up with lots and lots of your rising signs energy, even when you're activating and really showing up through your MC and through your 10th house energy. Okay. When you're really activating that energy for yourself, don't get me wrong. Tons and tons of your rising signs energy comes along the ride with you. But there is something different that happens in this activation. I always tell people, this is kind of like your customer service voice. This is kind of like um, who you are at an interview. Uh, This, that's, I'm trying to give you examples of some of the earliest, earliest forms of this energy. Early in life, I mean, like when you're really, really young. Because I think that those really basic raw examples really captures what this energy looks like very well. When you're really, really young and you start going to your first interviews, um, having to like make important phone calls, things like that, um, this, this is some of the very first times that you will activate your MC, really consciously activate it. And suddenly we take the rising sign energy of how I see myself, how I want to be seen. And this is what I mean, how it's like the volume gets cranked up. The lights get turned on even brighter. You already knew there were eyes on you. And then it's like, oh my goodness, you become hyper aware of everybody else's awareness of you. Okay. Um, This is very MC Midheaven style of energy. Okay. Just in general, regardless of what your MC is in, these are some of the traits and things. Okay. But in the traditional wheel of the Zodiac, let's talk a little bit about the 10th house in general. This is going to be your contribution to society. This is how you function in and what your role is in overall society. This is why this is a house and home of career. I try really, really, really hard not to encourage the use of, oh, that's the career house. Just like we talked about last time in the seventh house, how it's like, oh yeah, that's the marriage and relationships house. <laughs> it's so much more than that. We get so much more information out of that. So let we just don't want to glass ceiling ourselves. We just don't want to limit ourselves. So while yes, so much of our career really shows up in this house, um, we really activate this house when we are in career mode, okay? Definitely. It is a very zoomed out stage of life in general. Okay. This is the stage of life where we're coming from Sagittarius. Okay. Once Sagittarius really masters this seeking of truth, right? Because we want to really always, we want to keep Sagittarius and our ninth house kind of like the Energizer Bunny, really sustainable, sustainable energy there. Okay. Um, want to always keep uh, your curiosity. That's what I'm trying to say. Keep your curiosity stimulated and always, always keep an open mind. And this, this internal drive to seek new and different things and therefore the truth. Once Sagittarius, and we learn and master this in a very sustainable way, it then evolves and morphs into Capricorn and into the 10th house because this is where we want to take all of this knowledge that we're learning in this portion of our journey. 
we have gained so much knowledge. Okay. Sagittarius is like, oh my God, I've gained so much knowledge. And then it evolves into Capricorn and Capricorn's like, we got to do something with this. We got to do something with this. We have to give back with this. Things would be so much better for everyone if we did it this way. Things would be so much more efficient, on time, organized. Um, things could grow. Things could build. Things could be so so much more sustainable. This is why Capricorn energy is very, very professionally driven and overall really, really structurally based driven. Capricorn and Virgo very much share in their love and appreciation of organization. The big difference here is Virgo is going to tend to focus on more of the details in the day-to-day kind of organization. And Capricorn is much more wired to focus on big picture and overall structure type of organization, okay? This is why Capricorn energy is a really great manager and overseer because it has the ability, being an earth sign, it has the ability to be this very receptive and overall very holistic sign, right? Approaching all of it from a very holistic place and be able to detach from emotion where necessary and lean more into its practicality and logic kind of for the greater good, if you will, for the greater good of the overall system. Now, we have Saturn in this house. What is Saturn's role in all of this? Saturn is this big bringer, in my opinion, of foresight via the past, by tracking our own history, our own cycles, our own patterns, our own actions, right? Our own thought patterns, all of it. Therefore, we can have some foresight into the future. This is what makes Saturn, this planet, very concerned with karmic cycles, if you will, because Saturn knows how to track data. Basically, Saturn is a very astrological planet. Stick with me. I know that sounds redundant. If astrology, like I've explained many, many times on the show, is this study of like patterns and cycles so that you can therefore gather that data and look ahead. What did I just say about Saturn? Exactly. So it's one of the most cosmic or astrological planet of all the planets, right? It's probably where the study of astrology came from, finally, is is probably that was birthed in the 10th house and from Capricorn and from Saturn. Like, hey, we should start using this information for our own good. We should start paying attention to this stuff and like documenting it and researching it and learning about it so that we can use this information going forward. This is why Saturn and Capricorn are very, very rooted in tradition because they take history and the past very seriously because, again, there's data there. There's information there. And there is so much power in information, okay? Why do we know that? Because we just evolved from Sagittarius. We know how much power. And plus, we're all we're in the 10th house by now. We're very in the story and progression of the zodiac wheel. We're at a very overall developed place at this moment at this moment. We have quite a bit. Do you like my like <laughs> this is me going around the wheel hand motion? Um we've had 
quite a bit of experience under our belt. And so by this point in Capricorn, this is where we learn a lot about value. Um, even more, we learn even more about value than we learned in the second house and in the eighth house, because there's a lot of values. Um, we learn a lot about values in both of those houses, because if remember what we talked about possessions and stuff. Um, but we are reminded of this, this concept again in the 10th house. And that is why, especially because it's such a physical house because of the earth element, that's why there is so much money here. There's what, that's why there, there are a lot of assets here and things like that. Um, they're going to look different than the assets in the eighth house. Cause we do have long-term assets in the eighth house, but this is more long-term income revenue, if you will, right? Like income revenue. <laughs> I meant to say different forms of income and multiple pathways of revenue. Those kinds of assets, if you will. Okay. A lot of that stuff is going to be in the, in the 10th house. That means we are confronted with toxic productivity. We're confronted with toxic materialism, right? Toxic corporate climbing, if you will, taking advantage of others, stomping all over people so that you can basically use their backs to climb up and get to the top. We also have fear of failure and fear of success here in this house. Definitely, definitely. I'm afraid to fail, so I won't even try. That is a big big shadow that Capricorn um, and Saturn in general placements have to face quite often. Look to your Saturn placement and what sign is it in? Because especially if it's in a very logical and practical sign like Capricorn, I have Saturn and Capricorn, and this is definitely something I struggle with. Um, but if I, if I don't know exactly how to do all of it right here and now, then I probably can't even get started because what if I fail, right? Or what if I succeed and I can't handle the responsibility or the life changes that come with that? And this is where we get the garden goats. This is where we get the Capricorn energy that totally closes itself off. As a winter sign in the dark half of the year here, it has the ability to really kind of go in the shadows. This is where Capricorn gets his very reserved energy as well. Saturn doesn't mind restricting and being patient and kind of holding back. And so if you kind of let that over restrict, you will, you will become so stuck. You will do nothing and then end up destroying yourself. So this is why, um, this this energy really struggles in its own cardinal way. It struggles with some of its cardinal energy in that um, Capricorn knows how many really solid ideas that it has. And I mean, like they're solid ideas and, and Capricorn energy knows like, no, no, this is a really lucrative, lucrative idea. Um, but there, there are some unevolved traits to explore there so that we're not using Saturn's rings, if you will, to totally and completely hold us back. 
We want to use those rings, those cycles and patterns for data. Okay. Um, now, in Capricorn, when it becomes its fullest and it evolves into it, well, when it becomes its fullest master and it evolves into Aquarius, what happens essentially is, is at this point in the story, we've developed such a successful and sustainable system and society that it is time once again to venture. It's time once again to zoom out. We really, in these last three houses specifically, we like zoom, zoom, zoom out. Like seriously, there's a massive, massive perspective change that happens here. Like proportionately compared to the other houses, this is, I feel like in the other houses, we like started off with really, really narrow, small vision, really zoomed in and slowly kind of made our way back, kind of like taking a bigger and bigger look and um, perception of things. But in houses 10, 11, and 12, holy cow, we're shooting off into space officially. And this really does happen in Aquarius. And this is why Aquarius has the motto, I'm different. This is why Aquarius gets labeled, I'm an alien, right? We are traveling to new distances again. So in the 11th house, we're in Aquarius, like I said, this house is ruled by Uranus. And in traditional, that's in modern astrology, in traditional astrology also was co-ruled by Saturn. Okay, so keep keep that in mind. And then uh, this is an air house and this is a fixed modality. When we think of fixed energy, we know that this is sustaining and sustainable energy. Okay. Very, or sorry, I meant to say sustaining and um, stabilizing energy. (laughs) Um, In Aquarius, what this looks like is really propelling us forward. The other fixed signs I find to be uh, much more still and in place in their fixedness. And Aquarius is so fixed in its movement forward. To the point where this is where Aquarius and Capricorn are going to have the conflicts that they have. Remember how we talked about Capricorn, how and why it's very, very rooted in tradition. There's data there, like there's information and knowledge there. Information is power. Well, just as much as Capricorn knows and values that, the same is true for Aquarius for future, new ideas, progress, innovation, the unknown, the completely different and out there, if you will. So they both, right, have this very, in general, similar goal and intent is give back to overall society, overall greater good. I think that Capricorn has a little, well, I think that they both have a little bit of a self-motivator in there. I think that Capricorn loves the game and loves the climb. Um, and that's part of the reason it, it definitely doesn't mind its noble duty of giving back to society in that way. And then I think that Aquarius kind of self-motivator is, is that philanthropist. This is where a lot of Aquarius 
gets its validation from is knowing that it's doing whatever it can to give back. It doesn't seek external validation. It's not like Leo. It's opposite. It's polar, right? It doesn't need anyone to tell it it's being a good person. But Aquarius needs to know in and of itself that it is doing something bigger than itself. So those of you with heavy Aquarius placements, those of you um, look at your, in general, just go look at your Uranus placement and what sign that is in because they both really share this very passionate, very rebellious and very revolutionary energy about them. Very revolutionary motivated. This is why... Uranus and Saturn transits, like aspects, hard aspects with one another, can be really, really, really tough aspects, whether it's, you know, a collective transit happening um, for all of us or it's an aspect in your particular natal chart. There is that that kind of friction and confrontation that I that I illustrated. Um, similar between Capricorn and Aquarius, and it's very, very present in Saturn and Uranus, okay? Saturn knows the, the power and impact that discipline and restriction and patience, right? All of these things can have. And Saturn, or, sorry, and Uranus knows and appreciates the power in following those deep, important, right, fundamental impulses. In Aquarius, in the 11th house, we are very, very, uh, like, abruptly confronted with our humanity, our individual humanity. This is where that drive for Aquarius comes from, to give back. This is why I get really frustrated when people are like, Aquarius has 0.0 emotional capacity and they're not emotional at all. I would really, really beg to differ. I think that Aquarius has a very different kind of looking and feeling empathy, but holy moly, is it strong and wide and very giving. I really do think that a lot of Aquarius's motivation and just in general, the 11th house's motivation, a lot of that communal friendship, um, uh, charitable energy comes from, I've been through this whole progression, right? I started at Aries. I've been through this, this whole experience. I, I'm so hyperly, so crazily aware of my humanness. And so how could I not accept the responsibility, right? How could I not accept the duty and of taking it upon myself to do whatever I can to give back to those who may not be doing as well as I am, who may not have been given things that I have been given, okay? So I don't find Aquarius at all to be this like totally and completely detached from emotions. It's not like that. I think it's just a very different type of experience than we might experience in a water sign or even experience in an earth sign, quite honestly. I know that earth signs avoid, go back and listen to the elementals episode. You'll hear what I have to say about that, okay? I could go on a whole tangent about earth signs and they don't feel their emotions. Ah. All four elements 
feel and experience emotions. And they all four look very, very differently from each other. So this, let's do the Aquarius thing and really open our minds and awareness to that. Because I find that, in my opinion, Aquarius is one of, it's similar to Gemini and Scorpio. It's one of the most hated on signs sometimes and very, very mislabeled. Um, I think it has a real complexity to it that I personally love exploring. So look in your chart. Where is your Aquarius? What house does it rule? Do you have any placements there? And start exploring this energy a little bit more, okay? 11th house in general, like I said, is a lot of this, this community and friendship. And so if if specifically plutonic friendship is something that you're really focused on right now, something you're really struggling with, um, something that's always just been this really strong, shining part of your life, whatever it is, go take a look at your 11th house. What do you notice there? Let me know. I'd love to know. Now, when Aquarius at this point in the journey has gone out and explored, okay, for the sake of humanity, it's it's found progress, it's found innovation. And at this point in the progression, it's given that back to humanity. That's the whole point of Aquarius is that it does venture out, but it does come back home to give back to humanity, right? And once this happens, where are we in this journey? Where do we go from there? Aquarius... I mean, we've done so much exploring. And overall, every every part of our experience thus far has been related back to Earth, back to this life and this experience, right? That's why Aquarius, though, did venture out, returned home. Once we evolve and progress into the 12th house, into Pisces, into the home of Neptune, which is a water house, that is mutable. This is where we step into the house of the unseen. And it is very, very much meant to be an unseen place. It is, in some ways, I've always found it very similar to the eighth house because there is a lot of mystery, purposeful mystery, calling you to explore it. And yet, it's even deeper. If the IC, like we talked about, is the most internal part and core of you, what is the 12th house then? If it's this deep, deep place of the subconscious, of our own internal and universal mysteries, there is a lot of duality here in this house. A lot. There is a lot of our own personal journey in this life, in this incarnation, in this 12th house. And there are loads of secrets to be explored and unlocked in just the universe in this house for all of us. And the reason is because the 12th house, Pisces, Neptune, this is all representative of our relationship to spirit, our relationship to faith things that we believe in that we can't see. This is our existentialism. If the ninth house is our like philosophy, right? Like we definitely, you know, we're discussing concepts of the afterlife and stuff and philosophy. Don't get me wrong. But 
in Pisces, this is really truly our existentialism. This is our total and complete surrender to the universe. This is like your little starseed house. This is where it all ends and begins. That's why it's so profound. Do you feel that? Do you feel how profound it was when I said that? I felt it inside. It really is a deep and profound place. And I truly and deeply believe it's not meant to be totally and completely and fully understood because there would be no exploration. I think that it's never, ever meant, at least in this human form, to be totally and completely actualized. I think that there will always be something you can't quite see. That's how I have always interpreted when I heard that label, the house of the unseen. To me, that is, then there will always be something you can't see. This, if you missed this morning's, or this morning's, this episode, it could be morning for you, um, this uh, episode's pre-show tarot reading, uh, you need to go listen to that because I gave a really good little tarot insight about what the moons, what the different pictures and depictions of moons really represent in a tarot deck when, in a tarot deck when you're doing a reading. Good Lord, stick with me. It is not easy to talk today, I guess. Um, we talk about this though, this duality of of light and dark, of truth and illusion, of exploring the darkness and the unseen. I think it really, really resonates with a lot of what we're talking about in the 12th house. So make sure you go listen to that or go watch that. But this, this house, um, because it is the, the home of our subconscious, there is a lot of, well, our habits are here, things that we don't know about. This is why what's really reflected back on the 12th house from the from the 6th house. God, I can't wait to do the opposites and polarities episode with you. Um, oh, it's going to be so good. There are a lot of our habits in here. You can actually find a lot of your trauma in there too because we file and bury that away in our in our subconscious. Uh This is where deep, deep innate fears would lie. And therefore, this houses um, a lot of our self-sabotage. Addiction is in this house. Um, Our self-victimhood kind of a thing. This is why, because it can be so concerned with the endings portion of the endings and beginnings here. This This is my interpretation of the mutable energy in the 12th house, this is very, 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 is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? You decide. And I think this is perfect because in modern times, this house is ruled by Neptune, like I said, but in traditional astrology, this is ruled by Jupiter. So there's a co-ruler here. And I think that that's perfect because Jupiter is this very neutral yet ever expanding expander, amplifier. I I do deep down believe that there's this innate generosity in in Jupiter that, you know, the intention for growth and success is there. But overall, how it operates is it's going to just expand on and amplify whatever you put in front of it. And I see this perspective and this concept really, really strongly in this house and in Pisces and in Neptune energy in general spirituality, the meaning of the world, um, 
the the universal collective, all of these things are in this house. And all of them, they're all within, you know, all three of the layers, the house in Pisces and in Neptune. And all of them are totally and completely open for your interpretation. You get to create your own experience. When it comes to 12th, when it comes to Pisces, when it comes to your Neptune placement, look at where all of those, well, you know where your 12th house is, but what's ruling it and do you have any placements in there? Where is Pisces in your chart and where is Neptune in your chart? All of these are very, very like, they're, you know what they are? Our placebo effect. Our placebo effect really lives in the 12th house. This is power of thought for manifestation. This is the house where we create our own reality. This is where we learn that mindset is so, so important because it then fuels our sixth house, which will get us to actually act upon those subconscious desires. That's why when we don't have a healthy 12th and 6th house relationship or open communication line between the two, why we have like massive self-destructive behaviors. Okay. So this is a beautiful, beautiful place. And it can be the scariest. I really think, I really think even more than the eighth, every, the eighth is the scariest house on the surface. Very stereotypical. Everyone's terrified to look at their eighth house and whatever's there. And then a lot of people are like, oh no, my sun sign. (laughs) But then you start really, those of us that start really learning astrology and like learning the chart, discover the 12th house and we're like, ah, (laughs) it's, it can be really scary, but it also totally and 1000% completely does not have to be. It does not have to be. Um, I cannot wait for y'all to hear the episode when it comes out. Might be 2022. I'll let you know. Um, I'm I'm mapping other episodes around the mini series, so I'll I'll post an or and announce an official release date. But I can't wait for everyone to hear my episode with Daniel, the past life regressionist. Because I think that past life regression, at least my experience I had with it, is a really good physical representation of what I'm talking about. I I really, before I went into that experience, I have a stacked 12th house, by the way. And it's stacked with tough shit. <laughs> it's not an easy easy location in my chart. Um, and I really let myself get bogged down by that for years. Like before I even knew about astrology, I let myself just walk around. That was the reality I created for myself. Basically. I, I was definitely one of those people that was like, I guess I'm doomed. I guess I'm fucked. I guess I'll always be, I had very negative, um, self-talk, uh, dialogue and, and very negative thought patterns about myself and things like that. That was the reality I was creating for myself. And doing something like a past life regression, a really great quality one like that, um, you know, I, it changed my perspective. It didn't change it. It opened it. And it basically presented me with a choice. It opened my perspective and was like, hey, you can totally like keep thinking that everything and everyone and it, it's just all out to get you and you're going to be fucked and there's all that, like, you can totally keep thinking that. Um you also don't have to, um, and you could definitely work on changing and shifting 
your thought patterns and your mindset. And you now, because you've had this big perspective eye-opener, you've literally been able to see and witness a different experience for yourself. So you can't deny that it's impossible, that with just a perspective change, you can literally change your entire reality around you. And I, I do, in my heart of hearts, believe that is the main reason why that experience was so incredibly transformative to me. And I will honestly hear past lives. Even though um, you haven't heard the episode yet, Daniel's amazing. Really, really wonderful at what he does, but just in general, really amazing human being. And uh, I will link his info below so that if you're interested in working with him or learning more, um, you should at the very least go follow him. Uh, that way you can do so. He's the past life regressionist on Instagram. So you can go right now. <laughs> uh, that's That's what it did for me, at least, was I literally watched and experienced a different perception. I I felt myself have a different kind of confidence than I had ever personally experienced in this life. I had a completely different view and feelings and emotional experience when it came to facing death and hardship and even things like pain and torture. And being able to actually experience what it physically felt like to not have that fear, not have that negative connotation when I was presented with some of these different scenarios and situations, it was so eye-opening. I was like, oh my God, I literally don't have to operate this way if I don't want to. It's insanely empowering. And this is what we learn. This is the type of power that we can tap into and access in our 12th house. So again, what rules your 12th? Where's your Pisces? Where's your Neptune? And let's self-audit a little bit here because we are in a water house. So we might as well do a little shadow work. Um, where are you at in your spirituality? How do you feel about spirituality? What's been your past with it? Where did you come from? What is your spiritual trauma that you've experienced? Do you feel like you've ever had a spiritual awakening? Are you in one right now? How do you know? What are some of the feelings that you're experiencing? What are some of the things that you're seeing? Some of the things you're hearing? I want you to ask yourself all these questions because this is the point of the 12th house, right? We want to maintain that really, really sustainable, curious, eager to learn energy from the ninth house and carry that throughout the rest of our way here and definitely carry that into the 12th house, okay? Don't be afraid to explore there because... Oh my Lord, <laughs> it's just one of the most transformative houses to work with. It's a cathartic house to work with. I'm not going to lie. My Chiron is there. Oh, I can't wait for the Asteroids episode. Oh, it's going to be so good. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, my Chiron is there. I mean, it's not easy. It's not, it's in the shadow work that's come up through studying what Chiron is, what Chiron and Cancer is, what it's like having, you know, this Cancer energy rule your um, your twelfth house, which means the Moon, my emotions rule my subconscious. It's so important for me in this life to learn and master emotional regulation, so that I don't get totally lost in my thoughts and my subconscious, right, and then have self sabotaging behaviors. I hope that that like that little example there helps you understand in general how I and 
and also advise you, but how I study and work with the different areas of my chart. And you just take these things one step at a time. You just take this one day, one step, one chunk at a time. Pick a quadrant, pick a hemisphere, pick one house, pick one planet, pick one sign. You can break this down into so many different pieces. You can break them and categorize them into different couplings and groups and and learn through their energy in their different overlaps and similarities and their differences, right? There is, there's so much to be unlocked. And that's why understanding this houses one through 12, going through the full and complete energy of the Zodiac wheel. Well, again, as best as we could on a podcast, right? We could probably go on for literally lifetimes about all of this stuff. Um, But, you know, for the sake of Saturn and time, uh, that's, that's really how I have been able to use this strong foundation of energy and actually start applying it. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people, even now sometimes, and I'm a fucking astrologer, even now sometimes, because I follow so many amazing astrologers that I absolutely love. And I always will read the various interpretations and readings from astrologers that I respect or that I find, right? And yet sometimes we have to, we well, not sometimes, we always still have to remember not to lose our own interpretation in doing that. Because I don't know about you, but I'll get on Instagram and I'll read someone's advice. Oh, we've got, you know, Mars square Pluto today, or we have Saturn square Mercury today. Don't say a fucking word. Don't do this. Make sure you jump on this. Hey, don't do this today. I genuinely do appreciate tips and information and warnings, but I have to be aware of my own personal self and traits, which is that sometimes I kind of get lost in that a little bit. And I'll just take it like at face value and take it almost as fact and forget, hey, this information is out there for me to absorb it and then work with it. Not just go, oh, I better, you know, shut down my day today because the moon's void, of course. Well, the moon is void, of course, a lot. So if you're able to shut down your day every time that happens, dope. That sounds amazing. Um, But not all of us have that ability and we have to learn How do we use this information? How do we use even this really hard energy when we're really up against it? How do we harness this? Okay, so I hope that going through this helped. I hope that you feel like you have an overall good base because where are we at here? It is November 16th today. Next time, next episode on Friday the 19th, We're going to take a little break from Applicable Astrology Series, and we're going to do an eclipse episode. It's going to be all about eclipses 101 without, ding, 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 the fear-mongering. It is going to be a Fundamentals of Magic episode again. Actually, I'm so excited to start bringing um, those episodes back. I love doing the Fundamentals episodes. I really want to do a good basic 
just straight up Eclipse episode. I'm really, really excited for that. That is on Friday, but then next week, y'all, we're going to pick back up on applicable astrology, start getting into degrees, okay? Start getting into some angles, right? Some some aspects. We're going to be talking about polarities. We're going to be talking about different couplings and groups in general, okay? And really start teaching and understanding how to apply, how to bring this info from being info that we're absorbing into our reality, okay? Let's bring this stuff earthside and fucking do something with it. Am I right? I'm right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. This was really, really good. I'm so glad that all of you are enjoying these episodes. Like I said, if you have any questions, um, if you have any breakthroughs or anything like that, like I said, keep those coming through thatwitchnextdoor at gmail.com. You can always shoot me a DM on Instagram, of course, as well. And then I did want to let you know, are you interested in working with me? How can you work with me right now? I wanted to tell you because... My November, sorry, <clears throat> my November books are closed. Uh, they're, yeah, my November books are full. My December books are now officially open and I am booking. I am only taking on six to eight single one-on-one sessions in the month of December because I'm actually going to be taking some time off um, towards the end of December for the holidays and gearing up to launch a very, 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 very exciting witch school. So um, there are opportunities to work together in December. I just am going to be capping it at six or eight total sessions. So if you would like one of those sessions, if you are ready to work one-on-one and really get into your natal chart or really get into your business chart and, and have a mentor or tutor that will help teach you your chart during the session so that moving forward from that session, you actually have an understanding of, oh, I know how to use my own astrology. I know how to cast my own horoscope, if you will. I know how to really integrate the cosmos into my life and really enhance my earthly experience that way. We would be a great fit to work together then. So you can contact me via email if you'd like to work together, or you can go to the link down below and fill out a single session booking form It'll just ask you for your birth chart info and stuff like that. Kind of what you're seeking for the appointment so that I know what you're looking for. And then I will reach out to you within 48 hours to secure your spot and book your appointment. All right, everybody. This was amazing. You're amazing. Can't wait for the eclipse. Eclipse season is here. Are we freaking out? No. Because we're going to come back for another Fundamentals of Magic episode and we're going to be totally fine. All right, everybody. Until then... I can't wait. I love you. You're doing a great job. You stay magical out there. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of That Witch Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, I would be really grateful if you would head over to iTunes right now and leave a super nice five-star review. 
You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at thatwitch.nextdoor. I love connecting with all of you outside the show. Keep those questions, keep those comments coming. You can send fan art suggestions for topics on the show. You can nominate people to be interviewed on the show. Send anything like that to thatwitchnextdoor at gmail.com. And if you'd like to work together, I am offering a really amazing mentorship program. I'm only offering a very, very limited number of spots. You can submit your application and learn more on my website. And you can also book a one-on-one session with me at thatwitchnextdoor.com. Thank you so much again, and I'll see you all next week. 